Well, hello, my friends. I want to invite you this morning to gather around the Word of God. And so let me set the stage for uh, today's reading. We have been really joyfully reading through the Gospel of Matthew. For months, we've been reading Matthew's Gospel together. And, uh, and, and really, we've just finished up the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so uh, today, as, you, as we come to our reading, what you're going to hear, the first part of Scripture is going to say, and then Jesus came down from the mountain. So you're going to realize that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Uh, Jesus comes down off the mountain. I guess the, scripture we want, or the question we want to know is, what is Scripture going to show us about Jesus next? What picture of Christ should we expect to see today? You know, like if you were to come into my office and you were to come by to see me, you would see a lot of pictures. I, I have, like, like many men, like many people who have offices, uh, I, have, I have a lot of pictures in my office. And, um, you know, it's mainly pictures of my wife and kids, but also, the, you know, there's some pictures of old friends. There's a picture in my office of an old buddy and I, and, and we're holding our, our big long boards. We've been surfing in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, and, and I think I'm probably like in, in my uh, mid-20s there, and I kind of I keep that picture up there because it reminds me of like a, a time I did something very exotic because I'm kind of a, I'm from the flatlands of West Texas, so being a surfer is like something I like to impress people with. Oh, yeah, I surfed all the time. Well, like I lived in Myrtle Beach for two years. I surfed some, so you can come up. You can see that picture in my office. There's, there's a picture of me in my office. I'm, I'm there with two old friends. We're leaning against a stucco house. And, and we've just built that house with our bare hands in Juarez, Mexico. It's a really important picture to me. There's, there's, a, there's a picture in my office of my two kids when they were much younger and, and they're playing as, as kids do in a, in a pile of, of red and yellow leaves. And so they're just kind of popping their heads out of the leaves. I love that picture. It's, it's, a, it's a great picture. Uh, there's a picture in my office of my mom and my dad and my sister and they're surrounding Cammie and I on our wedding night. Like, you know, Cammie's in her white wedding dress. That's a, that's a great picture for me. And, and there's even, um, like, pictures that are, that are framed in groups. You know we do this, right? We, we, frame, we frame multiple pictures in, in the same frame, and, and that's kind of a way of saying these things kind of belong together. And, and so a few years back, uh, Sarah, our youth intern, she's also kind of a, a photographer on the side, she, she went out to a, a park and she took pictures of, of me and, and our family. And so all those pictures from the same setting or from the same picture time, they were all kind of framed together in my office there. Uh, and uh, if you were to, to look in, at the pictures in my office, you would get a sense of kind of what's important to me. And I assume um, some of you could say the same thing. Like if maybe, maybe you have a hallway in your house. Do any of y'all you have that hallway in your house where you have like all the way down the hallway, you have the pictures that are very important to you. Or, or maybe you have an office and on your office there's a lot of pictures about what are important to you. And you, you could take me down that hallway or into your office and you could show me each of those pictures and you could tell me stories about why those pictures are so important to you. And here's where I'm going with this, okay? Matthew's gospel is really showing us snapshots of Jesus, showing us these pictures of Jesus. And as we read this gospel together, it's like the Holy Spirit is just showing us images of who Christ is. He, he's, you know, the first image we kind of got is he's the great king of kings. And, and if you think about it, we've seen plenty of the images of Christ's kingship. 
And while we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we, we were exposed to these pictures of what Christ values and, and what he wants his people to be like. So here's the question. As Christ comes down from the mountain, what picture of Jesus will we see next? What will the gospel writers show us? Here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Matthew is going to show Jesus in three pictures today. We're going, to, we're going to see three pictures of Jesus. And kind of like those ones I had in my office, they're all framed together. And as a way of kind of Matthew showing us, I'm, I'm telling you a greater story. All these three pictures of Jesus, they're all going to have something in common. So I want to take a look at these three pictures today. Matthew chapter 8. Verses 1 through 17. I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand now in reverence of the Word of God read. We'll turn to Matthew 8, and before we read, let's pause for prayer. Father, thank you for your Word. We come to it today, this morning, hoping to see images of Jesus, hoping to see truth of Jesus, the revelation of Christ revealed to us, the gospel message. Convict us where we need convicting, inspire us where we need inspiring we pray this in Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. All right, friends, join with me in the first verse of chapter 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Then he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, uh, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard uh, excuse me, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose, and she began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out this, uh, the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I told you uh, that these pictures were all telling the same story, and I'll make sure to explain what that story is later. We'll really make sure that we understand what the great theme is. But first, let's just explore the three pictures of Jesus. Look with me at picture number one. It's Matthew 8, 1 through 2. Ready? When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus is, is coming down the mountain. He's just finished the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, it's a crowded hillside. That's, that's really important. The people are all around, and the crowd is talking about uh, the, the Sermon of Jesus. Scripture says that they were all marveling about his authority. That's what it says. When all of a sudden, at the base of this mountain, a man with leprosy approaches Jesus. Now, I don't know what you know about leprosy. But leprosy is devastating. It really is. Do you remember COVID? I mean, it hasn't been that long. Remember how crazy we all got? Remember all the rules uh, for masks? And remember all the six feet personal bubble spaces? I mean, we, we were kind of even at a point at one time where we were like putting pieces of tape on the pews to make sure that people didn't get closer than six feet to each other. All because of this fear of getting something that may kill you. And the confusion that we had, like we had a great confusion for how COVID was transmitted. I, I can remember people who would leave their, gro they'd go to the grocery store, pick up groceries, come home and leave all their groceries outside in the sun for hours to try to kill off any of the viruses that might be on their bags or on their bottles of bleach. And why not, right? Like we didn't know. We knew we were afraid of getting sick. I, don't take for granted in this story the fear of leprosy. Leprosy is highly contagious. People were, were terrified to be near lepers for the same reason, and maybe much worse even than anyone had fears of COVID. Listen, if I was, if I was like, you want leprosy or you want COVID? I was like, I'll take three COVIDs, please. I don't want leprosy. And whatever, like, whatever compassion that you have in your heart for lepers, at the end of the day, you have to understand why lepers would need to be banished from society. Do you understand? Does that kind of make sense for you, why that would need to happen? People of this time, they don't have a great scientific knowledge of how viruses and diseases work. They knew that if you get close to someone with leprosy, you get leprosy. And so for the sake of everyone in the community, lepers were banished you know, from the community, it was a sad reality, but, it, but it, it was something that had to happen or else everyone would get it. And oftentimes these lepers would, would live together in, in, in leper camps with, with other people who had leprosy. That would be their, their only community. They would never again get to see their family and they would slowly become deformed and they would begin to stink of rotting flesh and they would lose all sense of feelings. I don't know if you knew that leprosy did this, but you would lose all sense of feelings in your extremities. So as that, you know, you, you couldn't tell when you bumped into something and you wouldn't know when you had broken your own finger. And you would not have anything like pain to tell you when you had accidentally put your hand in the fire. 
Leprosy was in many ways worse than death. And somehow in our first picture of Jesus, the the first picture we get this morning, this leper has made his way through the large crowd. And he had thrown himself at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I can't overstate the boldness and the desperation of this man. Uh, The boldness to to break all the laws of isolation. Like he's not out there shouting unclean, unclean, at least that we see here. He's not staying away from the crowd. He's there in the midst of the crowd at, at the bottom of the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he heard about the teachings of Jesus and maybe he heard about the miracles that Jesus had been doing in Capernaum. I don't know. One thing is clear. This man is desperate. And he believes that Jesus is the only way that he will ever be whole again. I wonder if you can muster empathy for him. You see, the point of the story is not about obeying social distancing. So if you're sitting there hung up on that, like how in the world could that guy, you're missing the point. You're going to miss the picture. The point of the story is that, is what will Jesus do in this very specific situation? It's a picture of Jesus. And the man says, I know that you can make me clean if you will. And what Jesus does next is actually amazing. Jesus doesn't speak at first. Instead, Jesus stretches out his hand. And he touches the rotten, contagious flesh of a leper. And that's the picture. Right, if we're capturing a snapshot in time, it's it's Jesus with his hand outstretched, touching the helpless, contagious, pitiful leper. And there are few images that you will ever find that better capture the gospel than this picture of Jesus. Think about it: a helpless, pitiful man. Boldly going to Jesus, though the law would say that he does not belong. And he asked Jesus to make him clean. If this does not sound like your story, then I'm not sure you understand the gospel. Here's why, here's why I love this picture of Jesus so much, right? According to the laws of cleanliness, anyone who touches a leper would themselves become unclean, ceremonially. And yet, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Jesus is is willing to touch him, to take upon himself his infirmities and and to bear his disease. And this is what Jesus does for us. Hint, hint, this is the great theme of this whole section. And look look what happens next. We'll read together verse verse 3. It says this. And and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You see, uh, touching the leper was supposed to make Jesus unclean. But that's not what happened. In fact, uh, just the opposite happened. When Jesus touched the leper, the leper did not defile Jesus. Jesus made the leper clean. I don't know what kind of of deformities melted away, I can imagine, or or what kind of ailments were immediately cleansed, but immediately this man's leprosy was healed. And and it's easy to see the correlation between us and this man. 
So let's, let's lean into that correlation for a second and ask, what does Jesus ask this man to do after he's healed? After Jesus heals the leper, look what he does. Jesus speaks into his life with authority. Jesus gives him commandments as his Lord. Do you realize this is always what happens? Jesus cleanses you, and then he speaks into your life with authority. And he does so by his word. And this is what Jesus tells the man. Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. There's this great messianic secret. Jesus had his own timeline. He didn't want uh, things moving before he wanted them to move. So see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Uh, He's basically saying, go obey the laws of the Old Testament. Go obey the law. And there's certainly more to say here about this picture of, of Jesus and the leper Suffice to say that Jesus is calling him to obedience to the law. We must move to our next picture. Picture number two. You ready to see it? It's in Matthew 8, 5 through 6. Here's here's the next picture. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Let me point out a few things about this picture because uh, they, you might not clearly see them at first. First off, the centurion was a Roman military officer. The Roman military was currently oppressing Israel. And so the Jews hated the Roman army. Plus, I mean, typically, a Roman military officer considered himself to be more dignified than a homeless Jewish holy man. In many ways, this this encounter doesn't seem to make sense. The centurion is the wrong race. He's wearing the wrong uniform. He's under the lordship of Caesar, but twice this centurion calls Jesus Lord. But the picture gets even more strange as you look closer. He's not here. The centurion has not come to Jesus to ask to heal himself. The centurion has come to ask to heal his servant, which may not seem weird to you, but it is. Okay, because let me tell you why. This was, this was a rich and powerful man who had lots of responsibilities. He had lots of possessions. And the shocking part of this picture is that this centurion cares about his servant at all. You need to understand that people at this time didn't treat their servants as friends or family. They treated their servants as possessions. Uh, you remember Aristotle, he's yet to be canceled by culture, but he will. Um, Aristotle has these writings on ethics, and in his writings on ethics, Aristotle says this. He's, he says, there should be no friendship and no justice towards inanimate things, including horses, oxen, and slaves. Aristotle says no friendship, no justice for slaves. Do you see how scripture is is elevating the humanity of slaves and servants in this story? The craziness of the story really is that the centurion cares for his servant at all. You'd expect a centurion to just let that servant die and go and buy another servant. Instead, the centurion is here and he's humiliating himself, begging before this Jewish teacher. Verses 7 through 9. 
And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Here's, here's the takeaway from this, okay? The centurion somehow understands the depth of the authority of Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to go anywhere to heal anybody. Jesus simply has to speak things into creation. You see, the centurion has authority over soldiers. Jesus has authority over all of creation and, and so he says, Lord, only say the word, and my servant will be healed. And, and there's, a, there's a part of Jesus that, that looks at this and is, is very much, um, surprise would be the wrong word, right, to speak of Jesus. But, but he's very much impressed. And look what he says in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Right? He, he marveled at this. And he said to those who fought him, he's, he's just given the Sermon on the Mount. He's turning to his disciples. He says, can you believe this guy? Truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. And what he says next about this man is very significant for really all of us, all Gentiles, all non-Jews. This is very good news, right? This is, look, look what he says in verse 11 through 12. I tell you, many will come from, from east and from west, and, and they will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, Jesus, he, he paints a picture here of glory, of, of, of heaven, and of this, this giant table in the kingdom of heaven. And, and this is, is a great, it's a great feast for all of God's people. And, and Abraham's going to be there, and Isaac's going to be there, and Jacob's going to be there, and all of God's covenant children are there at this feast. Yet Jesus says, some of the sons of the kingdom will not be sitting at this table in glory. Rather, they will be thrown out. And, and friends, I believe this is a reference to Israel. The point is that, that not everyone who is an ethnic Jew, not everyone who is an ethnic Jew is a child of God by faith. Many ethnic Jews will not put their faith in Jesus. And what Scripture tells us is, is that there is no other name by which man might be saved. And so by rejecting Jesus, these Jews reject the Father. And they give up their seat in glory. And, and those who do not put their faith in Jesus, it says they will be thrown out into the outer darkness. And this is a very real description of hell. The outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. But here's the good news for you and for me. At the same time, Jesus acknowledges that there will be these other people at the table. Those people who come from, what is, as he says, from the east and the west these new people at the table are, are Gentiles, people like this centurion who called Jesus Lord and put their faith in him and follow his teachings. And look at verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the, the second picture of Jesus, his encounter with this faithful 
centurion and his willingness to heal his servant. One last picture for us today. The first was the leper right as he came down the base of the mountain. You begin to see the chronology of this. Jesus comes down the mountain, he heads into Capernaum, and he's going to stay at Peter's house. And so his first encounter was right at the base of the mountain. His second encounter with Centurion was right there at Capernaum as he entered the city gates. And now he has this encounter in Peter's home. Look at verses 14 through 16. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. The third picture of Jesus is this. He walks in and notices that Peter's wife's mother is ill. And unlike the others, really, there's no record of of Peter's mother-in-law asking for anything she's just lying there sick with a fever and, and and jesus simply heals her because he wants to out of the goodness of his own pleasure and i, I just wonder like if if that's been the experience of any of you in this room where you were sick in sin and you were you were so sick like you, you weren't asking for healing and all the same jesus came to you And he touched you and he healed you just out of his good pleasure. Let me start connecting some dots in these three pictures for you. You put all these these pictures together in one frame because they belong in one frame. And you take a step back and you begin to look at them. And what you see is that these are people, all three of them, who are on the outside of Jewish cultural acceptance. A leper, a Roman soldier, a woman. Who would guess that these would be the ones that the Messiah would heal? Look at, look at Psalms uh, 147, 2 and 3. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wound. This is who Jesus is. This is what these three pictures show us. So, so here's what's interesting. In, in Matthew chapter 4, it, it just kind of briefly mentions the fact that Jesus has, has, has come to Galilee and that he's doing these miracles. It, it, basically, all it says is that Jesus has healed diseases and afflictions in Galilee, but that's, that's all it says. There are no specifics. These three pictures today are the first three specific miracles recorded in Matthew's gospel. A leper, an enemy soldier, and a woman. All three of these people would be seen as lesser in the eyes of Israel. In these first three miracles, Jesus goes to the outcasts of Israel as if Jesus is letting outsiders in uh, what, what is it that Paul says? He says that there, there's no longer male or female, Jew or Greek. There is a radical inclusion in the gospel. And, and so what are we, the church, supposed to think about that? Are we not to imitate Jesus? And, and for those of you who think that biblical inclusion means that we should allow people into the church 
who are not willing to follow the commands of Jesus in their life, I don't think that's the kind of inclusion that we're talking about here. If that's what you think this is about, I think you've got it wrong. This is not about including people into the family who do not know Jesus as their Lord. Rather, rather, it is about including anyone into the family from any tribe or any nation who has been called by Jesus and submits to his lordship. God will call to those, or God will call to himself those from the east and the west to sit at the table. And I thank God that he included you and me. All three of these pictures of Jesus, the one where he's touching the leper, the one where he agrees to heal the centurion's servant, and the one where he touches Peter's mother-in-law without her even asking and cures her of her fever. All of these pictures are framed together. And there, there is one verse which is written, if you will, I'm taking some liberty here, but which is written at the bottom of that giant frame. I want to suggest to you at, at, at the bottom of the frame where these three pictures are together, Matthew labels them with a verse from Isaiah so that we know what it's all about. He says, I want you to know what all this is about. Look at, there's, there's a big math, there's three pictures here, but you need to know what they're all about. Look at, look at Matthew 8, 17, and check this reference from Isaiah. These pictures, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our disease. All these pictures of Jesus that Matthew gives us, they fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said would happen. Not, not just that Jesus would heal people, that's great. I mean, that's part of it. But that he himself bore our disease. And what is this great disease of humanity? It's, it's sin. And it's not just that, that Jesus heals our sin by waving a magic wand or saying a magic word. Jesus actually bears our sin upon himself. And that word, if you think about it, it's like he, he takes our sin and he, and he carries them ourselves. This is how Peter says it in 1 Peter 2.24. Look at that verse. It says that, Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. And of course, that's a reference to the cross, right? That we might, what? Die to sin and what? Live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Yes, Jesus heals. Yes, Jesus heals the outcasts. But it's not free for him, right? It's not free for Jesus to do so. Jesus heals by bearing our sins upon his shoulders. And Peter says that he bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So yes, the saving work of Jesus is radically inclusive, but it also requires radical obedience. Here's what that means today. What it means is that it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like. There is no male or female. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. People will come from east and west to sit at table in the kingdom of heaven. But don't forget what we talked about last week. There was this great verse where it says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. The images we saw of Jesus today 
depict Jesus going to the outcasts of society and welcome people into the radical kingdom obedience. The question of the day is this. Will you, who have been healed by Christ, obey his commands? This has been Matthew 8, 1 through 17. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for these images of Christ and the fulfillment of uh, the promises of Isaiah that he came to take our illnesses and bear our diseases. Christ, to you, uh, as we hear these descriptions of you this morning, our hearts are drawn to worship. Praise be to you, Christ our Lord, who have, who have called us to follow you and who, who have fulfilled our need for righteousness. In you we put our trust. We are saved by grace through faith, but we are not left in sin. Convict our hearts where we are sinners, Father, and bring healing even more. We pray this in Christ's name and all the church said, amen.